Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Well, we are obviously back to uh, live stream this week, but uh, I am super excited about next week and being able to uh, kind of get together outside. We, um, we're kind of checking out the, the temperature and that kind of stuff uh, going through our first service this morning, had a few people out there, and uh, I, think, I think it'll be good. I think it, there's, there's some shade, and so uh, looking forward to that. So if you are, are one who... Um, feels comfortable with, with coming together and worshiping outside while uh, social distancing, then uh, I'd like to invite you, and, and I'm excited to, to see you um, next week. And if you want to continue to worship at home, um, by all means, um, keep doing that and, uh, and, and continue to, to worship at home because it doesn't matter where we are. Um, God hears us and he sees us no matter what. Um, this morning, we're going to continue our series in this idea of inheritance and kind of what, what I've been learning, what God's been speaking to me, where God has had me um, over the past number of weeks. And uh, last week, we started by talking about how Jesus is our inheritance and everything is contingent on him and our relationship with him. And that, that once we've surrendered to Jesus, then, then we have Jesus and that's enough but there are things that Jesus brings with him that, that are, are part of our inheritance that have already happened in the past, things that are part of our inheritance that we have right now and we can experience in the present. And there's also things that are, are part of Jesus and what we receive in our inheritance that are, that are yet to come, that are part of the future. And really what we're focusing on right now and, and through these, these weeks is we're focusing on what Jesus means for us now. And what God has been kind of placing on my heart and the, 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 the kind of convictions and the, the, uh, the challenges and the, um, I, w- I would say, even the, just the, the moments of pause for me to think a little bit about what I, are, what I think. And if what I think really is in line with what the Bible teaches. And, and so um, one foundational thing that Jesus brings to us in the present, because of what he does as our inheritance, is he brings to us reconciliation to one another and to God. That is part of our present experience, that we've been reconciled to God, and so we no longer are separated from him. And that what, what Jesus also do, does in the present is that he constantly is reconciling us to one another. This morning, we're going to actually jump to Ephesians chapter 2, and the next week, we'll be back to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, but in Ephesians 2, um, it kind of holds hands with, with even what we, we looked at Hebrews chapter 10 last week. Um, but this morning, I want to share my heart with you. I want to share what God has been challenging me with regarding people, uh, my attitudes and my assumptions. Um, and I want to ask this morning for a couple points of grace. Uh, as we walk through this, um, there's, there's some things that, that, that are absolutely um, non-negotiable and biblically authoritative this morning that we're going to talk about. Things that we really can't argue with because it's God's word. Then there will be some things that God has been challenging me with that I would ask you to consider because they, cor- they certainly hold hands with what God says in his word but they're by no means authoritative like God's word. Some of those things come from me in the journey that I'm on with God. So, so I, I'm, I'm asking you this morning for a couple points of grace. And the first point of grace is, is uh, uh, the grace to set aside your thoughts until after we're done. Because I know for me the temptation to formulate a defense or response before I've even heard the whole message. The second point of grace, and I keep saying point of grace for those of you, I, sorry, <laughs> Kyle's laughing off stage because, I don't know, I think he wants to make fun of me. But anyway, um, he'll have a chance. Uh, the second grace that I would ask is uh, to, only, to let me say only what I say. If there's things that, that maybe you might say to yourself, so then what you're saying is, and that's the thing that we do as human beings, to kind of go down a road of 
kind of uh, cornering someone into something that you don't know if they'd say, but maybe they could say that, but they didn't actually say that. And so, so if, if you do have a question, then, then ask me about it um, rather than say, well, then this is what he's saying and, and, and assume that thing. Um, because if I don't actually say it, it might not be the best to assume that I would say it. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, what what Paul writes here to the church in Ephesus, he's just talked about what Jesus has done in and for us. Um, Verse 11 comes after 10, which, good counting. Um, But verse 10, Paul writes, for we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then he continues. He starts to talk about the people of God because really what our inheritance in Jesus Christ in the presence is, we receive a new humanity from the old broken humanity. And so in verse 11, he says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So he begins talking to the the believers in Ephesus about what I would call um, this great divide. He says, once, once upon a time almost, you were, there was this incredible chasm between you and everyone else. And, and he talks about the circumcision and the uncircumcision, talking about Jews and Gentiles. And again, when he talks about when, when the Old Testament and, and when in the New Testament, the gospel writers and, and those who wrote those letters talk about the circumcision, they're talking about the covenant people of God. The people that God called into covenant with himself and actually said to them that through my relationship with you, you will be a blessing to all the nations of the world. And we know that that didn't exactly, they weren't really good at that because Israel started to be more inward focused on themselves and saw themselves oftentimes as better than other nations and other people. And so he, he, when he says circumcision, he's talking about the covenant people of God. When he talks about the uncircumcision, He's talking about the rest of the world that stood outside of that covenant. And so what Paul is reminding them is saying, look, he says, there, there, you at one point, you stood outside the covenant of God. And he says that you were separated from Christ. And, and that's true of all people, not just the covenant or those outside of the covenant, but every human being born stands outside of a relationship with Christ, separated from Christ because of our sin nature. And, and so he says that you were separated from Christ. And I love how he says that you weren't part of the commonwealth of Israel rather than he says a citizen of Israel. Because here's how Paul is thinking. He's not thinking national Israel, but he's thinking of the faithful Jews living according to a theocracy. In other words, where God is king. Because you see, even throughout Israel's history, not all the Jews in Israel actually followed or surrendered themselves to God's rule and authority. We see example after example of where they rebelled and walked away. You see, God never has a whole nation, but he has individuals who've been grafted in, called to make up a community, and see, who sees him as king and father. So here's the reality, the first point of, of what really what, what we're talking about this morning, and that's this, that the nature of fallen humanity is separation from each other and competition with each other. You see, what we understand is while, while Paul gives these two great divides, those who are covenant people and who, those who are outside of the covenant, there's a, realize, there's a reality that even those covenant people, they are separated from each other and they are divided from each other and they don't 
really look like that picture of unity that they ought to. And the, those outside of the covenant, they're not really on the same team. They're all fighting for themselves. And so there's this reality that the nature of fallen humanity is separation from one another and we compete with one another for all the scraps, whatever there is out there. And that is the nature of humanity. Moving into verse 13, Paul says this. He says, he says, but now, he started with once, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, those outside of the covenant, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, by the work of Jesus, his sacrificial death and resurrection. For he himself is our peace. It's so interesting that today we hear all of these people talking, and, and not just today, but throughout human history, we t- hear people talking about, about how peace is achieved and how there won't be any peace until this happens or, or there will be peace if this person does this. And here's the thing, there cannot be actual peace apart from Christ. Peace in this world cannot be established separate from Jesus. The entrance to peace is surrender to Jesus Christ. Right there, Paul says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. In other words, one new humanity in place of what was. And he says, and he says, one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And, and so here, here's where he goes after he explains this nature of this division and competition in humanity, that there is a horizontal reconciliation between people, that Jesus' blood actually conquered the separation and competition. Nothing short of total surrender to Jesus will produce peace. And really, when we talk about this peace, peace within you and peace around you is an indicator of your degree of surrender to Jesus. No matter what the circumstances are around me, if I am surrendered to Jesus, my life will experience more peace the greater degree I am surrendered to Jesus. If, if I'm not experiencing peace in my life, then I think I might need to consider whether or not that's a surrender issue. And, and, so, and so he goes on. And, and so basically what Paul describes here is that Jesus' act, his act of, of dying on the cross, giving of himself and raising from the dead, that that, that, that act alone destroyed the hostile division and competition between people that, that led that leads to all of, the, all of those things that, that we say, what is wrong with this world? And so in Christ, when we surrender to Jesus, we become part of a new humanity. And there's where there's this clash of culture because if you're in the new humanity, the old fallen humanity still exists and, and the old humanity does not understand or comprehend the ways or the values or the intent of the new humanity. And that can only be found through Christ. That is our inheritance, this new humanity that no longer functions as the old fallen humanity. Not only does Jesus bring vert- ver- a horizontal reconciliation, but he brings vertical reconciliation at all also. His blood also conquers the sin that we are born with that condemns us before God. Jesus deals with hostility on two fronts with God and with others. And and so, again, Jesus is the key to peace. Now, not just peace in and of myself, but peace between God and me. And so Jesus brings us all to the same level. He says we all have the same access through the Spirit to God the Father. 
that we all have the same access and intimacy to God the Father. And so the second point that I want to make this morning from this text is this, that the life and work of Jesus removed the hostility that defined humanity's relationships. The work and life of Jesus removed the hostility that defined. We no longer have to be defined by separation and competition. Yet so often we fall into that and fail to receive and accept the inheritance that is presently ours, which is peace between people, between the body of Christ, between those who have surrendered to Jesus. Then he moves on and he moves into verse 19 and finishes off his thought. He says, so then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple into the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so what... Paul explains now is that those who have surrendered themselves to Jesus are now family in the same household. We're not part of the same club. We're not part of the same worldview. We're not part of the same philosophy. We are of the same household. That is why we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have to allow the house rules to be bigger and stronger and more shaping than the rules of the world around us. And so he says that we are held together by the redemptive plan of God carried out in the person of Jesus Christ. That's how we're held together, that Jesus has redeemed us and he has fixed what was wrong. You see, so often our culture and our society says in order to fix a problem, we need to make someone else pay. But see, the way God fixes a problem is he pays himself. And, and, so, and so really what, what, what he says there is this is so cool because he says in, in verse 22, just, just listen to that again. Verse 22, he says, in him... You also, in him, you also, all of us, all of us who have surrendered to Jesus Christ are being built together into a dwelling place. We are together being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We collectively, as the people of God, are his dwelling place in this world. That's why it's so important that we walk into all things with humility, surrendered to Jesus, recognizing that what I think might not be the end all of thinking. And so the third thing in this passage is this, those who have surrendered to Jesus are together God's home in this world. And so here's what God has been kind of working in me over these last number of weeks. And it has to do with this division among people, human hostilities, which Paul describes in that passage. And, and really, we've seen all kinds of hostilities in the last six, eight weeks. There's hostilities over masks. There's hostilities over over safety and health and, and economics and livelihood. There's hostilities everywhere. And we saw some of these hostilities come to just a, an, an overwhelming overflow just a few weeks back with racial hostilities. And I can guarantee you that there were people of God in every place within those hostilities. And so how does that track with Jesus saying that he has torn down the dividing wall? How does that work with that? And so, and so the, this morning I want to share with you what God has been dealing with me. Some of it is a personal journey. Some of it is a reality of scripture and understanding some things and sitting and listening. We haven't at Crosspoint said a whole lot about 
the racial tensions in our country because I felt it was important not to be silent, but to be quiet and listen and pause because I don't just want to say something or take cues from the world around us because we as Jesus followers do not take cues from the right or the left. We take our cues from Scripture and Scripture alone. And so here's what God has confronted me with And I know that this might cause some people to kind of begin to bring their their guard up, but just listen for a second. What God has done is he's confronted me with my instinctive white evangelical reaction against the idea of structural racism. Now, I say that not because I assume that only exists in white people or evangelicals, but I say that that way because it is what describes me. This is what God's doing in me. It describes me because those are the groups that I am most familiar with and I relate to most closely. And what I'm saying is that I have an intrinsic, instinctive reaction when I hear about racism, especially in our country. And I don't necessarily know if it actually jives with the biblical worldview. You see, what I'm beginning to see and what I would like you to consider is this, that if our minds are truly Bible-saturated, we would be absolutely amazed if any nation could eradicate structural racism. Because we would be absolutely amazed if structural racism was not pervasive where sin is pervasive. And when I say structural racism, I'm saying racism that, that, is, that is within the, the very structures that we live in. That there is a bias, there is a bent toward looking down upon another person. You see, Bible-shaped people should expect to see structural racism almost everywhere in a fallen world. And I'm not just talking about our country. I'm saying everywhere, every tribe, every nation, every community. And let me put it this way, because I think this could be helpful. Structural racism is no less prevalent than its siblings, its sin siblings, which are structural pride, structural greed, structural lust, and structural fear. These are all embedded in every corner of society and culture, whether it's entertainment, advertising, economics, laws, politics, philosophy. See, I would never, and I would assume you would never say, I think our country has eradicated the structural greed that is within our systems. I mean, we wouldn't say that because that's obvious not the case. We wouldn't say that we've defeated and gotten rid of structural pride or structural lust. But when when, when someone talks about there being a thread of racism woven into humanity, into our culture, into every culture, then then there's a part of me that intrinsically steps back and says, wait a second, I I think we've done pretty well. But you see, that is like me saying, oh, no, no, we've done really well with with structural greed. Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) But it's still there. And, 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 and And so I think the thing that we need to understand is, is that, that, that every good thing is affected by this. Everything that we experience, the church is affected by this. The church is affected by structural pride and greed and lust and, and racism. Homes, families are, are, are affected by this. Nonprofits are affected by this. Governments are, are affected by this. Everything is affected by this. But what we have to be careful to do is not to dismiss all of those entities because sin is pervasive, because sin is pervasive everywhere in culture. 
We have to recognize that to fix one injustice, we cannot then be unjust to a whole nother group of people. And so here's, I want to, I want to, I want, as we begin this discussion, and, and, and this, this is kind of a, an introduction today, a begin to pause and think, maybe rethink some things that we've thought before. But I want to, I want to give some definitions. And you see, racism focuses on non-essential differences. And the way I'm going to define race, I know that God created the human race. We are all of the same race. And that is just the reality. And I get that. But you see, humankind doesn't really perceive things that way. And so race, not scientifically or sociologically, but I, I want to define race by appearance So race would be a group of people distinguished primarily by skin color, but also facial features and hair types. And I do that because of what I see revealed about mankind, humankind in in God's word. That when God is talking to Samuel, when, when he's looking for the king of Israel, Samuel sees all of these people and he looks at what they look like and he says, this person seems impressive, this person, but this person doesn't because of the way they look. And God says to Samuel that, that, that man looks on the outward appearance. That's what we see and that's what we begin our processing with. But he said, God looks on the heart. You see, we have an outward bias toward people perceived like us. And that same bias is affecting us when there are people who aren't like us. We, that's just, that's part of sin nature. That's part of the predicament that we're in. And so that's how I would, how I would like to think of race as we talk about these things. Second, racism is a feeling, belief, or practices that values one race, one group of people because of their skin color, over other races, or devalues one race between others. And, and, and so here's the reality. No matter what culture or nation or tribe or community we're talking about, whoever is the dominant people in that place, they will knowingly or unknowingly value what is natural and familiar to them, and they will structure their culture and society around that. It's kind of like what I do in my home. My home is structured around me. And I've got four people in my home who are always reminding me that my home can't be structured around me because we live in a community. (laughs) And, and, and 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 then structural racism is that cumulative effect of those racist feelings or beliefs and practices that become embodied and expressed in a given culture, the policies, procedure, norms, assumptions, values, narratives, those kinds of things. It, it's what the, out, the, the, the product is afterwards. And it's not even necessarily an intentional thing. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not even an intentional thing. But here's what I see about the church. I see that the typical church doesn't really reflect the biblical truth that we just talked about in Ephesians 2. The accomplishment of the death and resurrection of Jesus in that the norm of churches today here are not that they are racially diverse bodies. I'll tell you one thing about our church. Our church is an incredibly diverse economic body. And we're a little bit diverse racially. But it seems like if we really understood Ephesians 2, then it might look different in our community. So here's where God has me at this point. And here's what I would ask you to consider. Consider reducing the influence of distant worldly voices. It is so easy to give authority and credit and influence to a voice out there that I don't actually know their character or their agenda or who they're working for. To let them influence what I think about this. I would encourage you to increase the influence of known Jesus-surrendered voices in your life. The people that you can say, no, I know their character. I know their flaws. I know who they're living to glorify, themselves or God. 
And then thirdly, I would encourage you to do this, is to, to begin to, to question what you see and what you think and recognize a biblical view of humanity and race and sin. And it's kind of what I talked about last week of what truth am I ignoring in preference toward a truth that I'm more comfortable with? One of the things that we get to do this morning is, is that thing of increasing maybe the influence of known Jesus surrendered voices. And so um, Kyle and Kyle Belden is going to come up and, and with uh, Phil Gully, um, who's been up, up here before on some panels and things like that. But they're going to kind of talk a little bit about um, really Phil's experience as being part of this family, part of our church, and uh, kind of what his experience is and what, what he sees as being a Jesus follower and a black man. So you can welcome them. Oh, they're right there. <laughs> right here. Um, man, first of all, Phil, just want to say, like, thank you so much for being willing to, to share your voice and your experience with our church family. And um, we're really honored to get to hear from you. And first service was awesome. It was a great conversation. Who knows, like, exactly right. what we're going to talk about this morning. But um, just super, super grateful that uh, you were willing to be a part of this. And, and it's, so impo- it's just such an important part of the conversation because... Like, the theory is so important, right, to get our heads straight, but what we see Jesus do all the time is he takes, like, these, these uh, divine, like, spiritual ideals, and he embodied them as a person, and uh, he played them out through relationship, and that's such a massive part of this. We could talk all day long about racism and ideas and all that stuff, but really when it comes down to it, it's, it's relationship, right? And cool. uh, so, super glad that you're willing to, to lend your voice to that, for sure. It's an honor to be here, and yeah. thank you for having me up here. Yeah, absolutely. So, a lot of you people uh, who are watching on whatever platform you're watching from, you know Phil. Um, he's right at the door all the time, huge smile on his face, either before we had masks outside of that or when we started meeting in person. It was, he was still smiling behind the mask. And, uh, and so, a lot of you have had the opportunity to, to meet him, but for those who maybe haven't or maybe just started joining us uh, as this whole pandemic thing was going on. Um, maybe just introduce yourself and, and let us know a little bit of your journey of how you came to Crosspoint and, and also like what, what happened here to keep you um, a part of this church family because you're, you're a transplant of Modesto in California, yeah? That's correct. I'm yeah. from Ohio. Yep. And um, what originally brought me to Crosspoint was I um, was living in Tracy, then I moved to Manteca, bought a house there, and um, I was looking for a church home. And finally, um, I went online, saw Crosspoint online. So I said, well, let me go visit and see what Crosspoint is all about. So when I got here, um, I went up into the balcony. And up in the balcony, you know, first time here being a little shy, you know. And as I came through the doors and I went up in the balcony and I kind of looked around and I noticed that, you know, there was not many people that looked like me. But... I didn't care because I always believe that I'm going to go wherever the Lord leads me and wherever I'm getting fed, that's perfect. So, um, and there was a group of ladies up in that balcony and they saw that I was sitting by myself and they invited me up to sit with them. Now, granted, these were, um, they are uh, white ladies, you know, I didn't look like them. I was a male, you know, so they invited me to sit with them, and then we listened to the message, and we praised together, you know, worshiped together, and then I start coming back, and I was like, wow, that, that's great, you know, this is what God has called me to be here, and um, I also would like to say, um, I want to thank um, Pastor Matt and the staff, the leadership here, um, because I believe that when you a shepherd, as a master Pat is our shepherd, and we are his flock under his leadership, uh, a shepherd is responsible for his flock. And when a flock, one of them is hurting or um, has a bruise or a thorn, and they're constantly bleating, um, and that's, you know, bleating is when a sheep go ba ba, and they just won't shut up. Something's wrong. Something's irritating them. And um, I just praise God that we have leadership and a pastor here who hears the, the, um, his flock. Um, like I said, not too many African-Americans go here, but when there's something affecting his people, he has to listen and he care and he's wanting to know why am I, are we bleating or why are we hurting? And um, he's given us this form and you guys given us this form so that I can tell my story and also hopefully we could bring um, us closer together in race relations. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And, and that is like kind of one of the big, I guess, hopes from uh, the beginning of this conversation. There's, there's, no, there's obviously no way this is going to like wrap up the conversation. This is just the beginning. And that's a good thing because I think, I think so many of us um, who, even those of us who are part of Crosspoint who are white, um, don't have, have lived with a certain level of, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but a certain level of ignorance as to what our black brothers and sisters are have experienced in their life, uh, even those who are a part of our church family and and ones who uh, like like you said like are hurting like your community the community is hurting and uh, we as a church you know we want to make sure that we and, and we as followers of Jesus and a, and a part of that family we want to make sure that we are taking care of each other right and and taking care of the world around us for sure um, so I mentioned it, obviously, like as like a, a, a white man in America, like a lot of my experiences growing up, my experiences as I walk through life right now, they, they're different than the experiences that a, that a black man would have in our, our country. And I think that there's, there's been a lot of uncovering of that for a lot of people, uh, understanding like, oh my goodness, like this is a, this is a reality. Right. Um, I, I, I'll be the first to claim like the ignorance of like, I, I totally assumed, like I thought we were like way past all this stuff. And what, what is becoming more and more clear, I think, to many of us is that that's not, that's not necessarily a reality. And that means that we as followers of Jesus especially, we have, we have a responsibility to step into some of this stuff. And so just, just um, to help our church family even better understand, um, I know you've had some experiences as you've walked through your life um, that really highlight that there is, this, there is this difference, and it's something I think we need to, need to understand if you're willing to share. Right, and then... Um as I can go back in time, um, it started off like my grandmother just telling me a story about um, how she grew up, and she was making a trip down south. Her and my grandfather, they live in Chicago, going down to Alabama to visit family, and she had to stop and use the bathroom and get gas. Well, the gas attendant uh, would not allow my grandmother to go into the restroom. It told her she needs to go out and um, use the restroom outside. You know, that's my, one of my first stories that I can recall of, you know, wow, being a black person, you know, why would they tell her to do that? And then we fast forward in what my experience um, in high school, um, it was predominantly, it was a mixed crowd, but they um, bus white kids into our, our school. Um, so it could be diversity and then um, about taxes and all that. But, you know, I, I went to school with um, blacks and whites. And then um, we had a race riot because one of the black kids got in a fight with a white kid. So that's the first time, you know, one of the second times I'm like, wow, you know, this stuff is real. It didn't touch home until then. And then in the military, um, I experienced a little bit of racism because, you know, for promotion and my first sergeant um, did not want to promote me. He promoted, um, orders came down. I was in the middle of Desert Storm and orders came down where they didn't want to honor the orders that came down from headquarters. The other people in the company who were white got promoted, but my first sergeant, for whatever reason, did not want to promote me. So I had to threaten to go to higher up and report and file a complaint, and then the next day, he did promote me. But my name was Mud after that. <laughs> um, um, and another incident, um, as a supervisor, um, at one of the jobs I worked at, I had an um, employee who was he did not like me for whatever reason. And one of the things made me realize it was racial was because when I was watching him work, he didn't want me to watch him work. So he stopped working and I addressed it. And then he told me, Hey, um, I'm not working until you stop watching me. I said, I'm gonna watch you. And that's my job. And he said, well, I want the union steward, bro. And then just even that word, because there are some key words and triggers that in the um, African-American community that we kind of cringe. And it's like cold word for, um, it could be like a, a racial thing, you know, or we're, we're very conscious of certain cold words that come out. And like I said, I don't want to get political or anything like that, but it's, it's a reality. The cold words would be like, make America great again. All right, so in 1776 with the um, U.S. Um, Declaration of Independence, well, all men are created equal except blacks. You know, we were in slavery. Um, so, and then you fast forward, you can go to the Jim Crow laws that were put in place, you know, and then you fast forward now, you know, the, um, the justice system is, is somewhat not fair. Um, and then what we have recently here uh, where... Um, George uh, Floyd and um, the shootings and stuff like that, police brutality. 
So those are things that, you know, is very sensitive to African-Americans. And when um, Kaepernick is even started when he just, you know, kneeled down silently, peaceful protests, the um, injustice to African-Americans and police brutality. And um, some people have a problem with that. And I would tell people, I, I wouldn't have a problem kneeling down for a protest because somebody should not ever tell you what is a proper protest and what's a, what should, how you should not protest because how are you going to get people's attention? Um, but one other thing is that um, I, I've been in two wars. You know, I'm a veteran, two-war um, veteran, um, received a bronze star for my duty over in Iraq. And I love my country, but I would want to stand up for injustice that's being done. You know, so um, it's more so, you know, different protests. Um, again, even if I said black lives matter, you know, that's a trigger word. People are like, ah, oh, black lives matter. All lives matter. Of course, all lives matter. <laughs> um, but uh, I, the way that I explain it to people when my white friends ask me, well, Phil, doesn't all lives matter? Why do you have to say black lives matter? Well, I will tell you, like, if you go in a neighborhood and there is a, one house on fire in that neighborhood, that house is one's burning. The other houses, they matter, but they're not burning. It's that one house that needs attention. And here in the um, community of God, you know, or as an African-American, I'm hurting. You know, we're hurting. Um, we're bleating, so to speak, um, as there we have a thorn on our side. So, yeah. And that's, that's our cue for the rest of the family, for whoever's hurting, to make sure to come around them, you know, and to uh, encourage them and to... Um, do our part, I guess, in facilitating, like, the healing and, and movement forward. And, and you bring up some of those experiences that you've had, and it's just been crazy to me over the last several, you know, weeks, months, um, that literally every single black person that I talk to, they have those exact same stories. They have those exact same kinds of experiences. And um, I think it can be easy, I think, for, uh, in particular, white people, but to, to stand on the outside and say, but yeah, but, like, does that stuff really happen? And, and it's like, this isn't this isn't like a politician. This is Phil. Like, you know him. And, he, and he's, he's communicating these heartfelt truths, like, from his own experience. And I, I think it should motivate us to, to do something, to be aware that this injustice still exists in our, in our country and in people we love and care about. And Jesus takes it one step further, right? Even people we don't love and care about, like, we still are required to care. Um, and... Uh, but what I really appreciate about you, Phil, and it kind of connects to what Matt had talked about a little bit, was uh, you're a voice that is motivated by, like, the power of the Holy Spirit and, 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 yes. and the change that only Jesus can bring. It's not just a social change or a political change, although those, th- those things can happen. It's an it's a inner heart change that then leads to action. And I, and I so appreciate about that about the, the place that you're coming to this discussion from. Well, Jesus said that um, the way that you the world would know that you are my disciples is how you love one another. And then that's very powerful because, you know, the second greatest commandment is um, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, so how can I love you? Like in the community or in a body, we're family. You're my sibling. You're my brother, and, but you're my sibling. And then also there's beauty in diversity. You know, um, again, when I talked about, um, I didn't talk about it, but on the first service, it talked about um, Peter had that vision, and um, God told him to eat. You know, different types of animals came down off the sheet, and, and at that was the time when Peter was hungry. He went in a trance, and I'm quite sure he was smelling the food that was being cooked. Um, and then when God showed him different types of animals, you know, uh, and I like to think God showed him some pork chops. God showed him some fried chicken, and, and again, I, I use the analogy, maybe some gator, because there were some reptiles up in there. So um, that's, you know, we're all God's people. There's diversity. There's good. And, um, and God created us all. So and I think, and I think it's, a, it's a beautiful picture that, like, the, the Bible gives us about what this diversity is supposed to look like. It's, it's less of like a melting pot, I feel like, and more of like a, like a mosaic. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. like you mentioned the first service, man, in, in Revelation when it talks about us all getting to heaven, um, it'll be every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Yes, exactly. uh, there's going to be all kinds of languages we never heard, but maybe we could understand. I don't know how it's going to work. And all kinds of, like, tradition and culture, and that's beautiful. And that's a beautiful part of the family of God is it's, it's this mix. It's this, this mosaic um, all motivated from this place where, where Jesus is what we're about, uh, first and foremost. But 
it requires, I, I keep coming back to this, I feel like it requires us as the church. Yeah, specifically Crosspoint, but also the big church. Mm-hmm. It requires us to kind of go after these walls of hostility that Amen. still exist, obviously, obviously still exist in our country, especially, specifically, and, and everywhere in the world. It requires us to go after them and take them down. Mm-hmm. And so kind of, um, I didn't ask you this last service, but kind of one question as we, as we wrap this up is, so if someone's out there and they're like, man, I'm, I'm challenged or inspired and, and I want to be a part of bringing these walls of hostility down, mm-hmm. like where's a, where's a good place for them to start? Um, I, I say the first place to start is to listen. Yeah. Um, I know we have to be careful uh, with the news media uh, because they like to uh, to highlight some negatives a lot. That doesn't mean it's not happening, but we need to be careful. But I also say start locally in your neighborhood, your friends. If you have a person that's black, a friend of yours, um, ask the questions. And then when they express things that are bothering or hurt them when it comes to race relations, I say, listen, listen. And um, again, it goes both ways because I should ask you questions too. Um, And what a lot of black people will like is to walk alongside with us. You know, if I hurt, if I'm limping, ask me what's wrong. What can you do to help me get that thorn out my side, to keep me from bleeding? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Man, Phil, I just appreciate so much your heart. I could listen to you talk for like hours more, but I'm sure people online are (laughs) are hanging with us, and I know that this is going to be an impacting conversation to to them, and uh, I just super, super appreciate your willingness, your, your courage to to share this stuff. And again, I'm really grateful. This is like just the beginning of, of I think, a lot of conversations and a lot of movement toward um, tearing, those, tearing those walls down. And Amen. thank Amen. you so much for being a part of it. It's a pleasure. Awesome. Um, I'm just going to pray real quick, just pray for Phil. And, uh, and then Travis is actually going to come up as we wrap up our service to share a little bit about his personal journey uh, that he's been walking through over the past uh, several weeks. So let me just pray for us as Travis comes up. Jesus, um, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much, God, for the example you set for us. God, thank you so much for Phil and his willingness to to share some of his story and um, his perspective. And God, we're so grateful that uh, he's a part of this church family. And Lord, I just pray that as we continue to seek your heart in unity, um, racial reconciliation, God, and uh, our place as the church and our place as Crosspoint in this conversation, God, I pray that you would give us boldness to tear down that evil where we see it, God, and, and raise up people who you created in your image so that they can see uh, just how much they're worth um, wherever they come from, whatever they look like, God. And so like, I just pray we recognize where the hurt exists and, and run toward it. We love you and we thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Kyle and Phil, for, uh, man, what an awesome conversation to overhear and just to cause us to think. Uh, I just want to share from my own life and the things that God's been doing in my heart recently on this issue. Um, I'm so thankful that I grew up in a home where we were constantly taught um, a very biblical view of race. Um, I can remember from a very young age my mother teaching my sister and I that prejudice uh, was ignorant and hateful and had no place in our lives. Uh, We believe that people are people and we should love and enjoy the variety that God designed. Uh, Never divide over it. Our church uh, had this ministry called the HIS Ministry, uh, Hospitality to International Students. And it was a ministry that was just exactly what it said, um, hospitality to people who are coming to America for their education, just try to befriend them and and support them uh, as they got their education. And through this, we had friends who were from a variety of nationalities, like Taiwan, China, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, Malawi. Um, I loved these friends, and and I never would have understood anyone rejecting or mistreating them because of their skin color or their nationality. And add all that, all the dear friends and mentors I had at this very church uh, that were from, uh, you know, different backgrounds, different uh, nationalities, races, um, that I just loved them all. We were unified, and there wasn't any division over any of that. Um, and, and so this was just my reality. Um, deep love and respect for people across racial lines, uh, and um, that was the way I experienced America personally, um, that it's supposed to be this way. Diverse and also unified. So what my experience growing up did for me was to cement in my mind uh, that love and respect and friendship across racial lines was not only awesome, but that it was normal. Um, 
But because this was my experience of what normal was, I think it also had the effect, uh, at least in my mind, um, of insulating me from the realities that other people face in some ways. Of course, I've always been aware uh, of racism and that it's still a problem. Um, But for me, because of my experience, uh, that problem felt far off. Uh, Also, because we've come so far in America, you'll say, but, but haven't we, you hear people say, but haven't we come so far in America from like what Phil talked about uh, in 1776, you know, black people were still in slavery and were for a long time after that. Um, and so we look and say, that's not that way anymore. Haven't we come so far? Um, I think because of that thing that happens in our minds oftentimes, I think subconsciously um, I've had some assumptions that the progress we've made um, got us to a really good place. Um, I subconsciously assume that because racism will always exist, uh, in some places at least, and in in some ignorant people, until Jesus returns and eradicates sin from the earth, uh, that perhaps we've arrived to a place where maybe it's as good as it gets. But there are some things where better is not good enough. Uh, Progress does not always equal success. There are other issues where, to me, progress isn't good enough, like abortion. In my heart, I won't be personally satisfied until every last unborn child is safe in their mother's womb. Abuse. I personally won't be satisfied until every last man, woman, and child is protected from being used and abused by people who would harm them. How about human trafficking? I personally won't be satisfied until every last human being is safe from this horror and it is stopped completely. For everyone. See, with each of these issues, my heart cannot accept progress as, quote, good enough. So how was it that somehow, way in the back of my mind, there was this subconscious assumption that with race, maybe this is as good as it gets? And so we as a society have to regretfully accept that things are, quote, good enough. This subconscious assumption caused me, I think, at times to see these horrible things happen that broke my heart and yet to have a response of, well, there's nothing I can do about that. Not that I didn't care, but to be brutally honest, and I'm trusting you all right now, to be brutally honest, sometimes the things that don't directly affect me are easy to shrug my shoulders at, and I think that's probably true of a lot of us. If it doesn't directly hit me or affect me or people I love, it's very easy just to say, what can I do about it, and shrug our shoulders. And the very dangerous thing about this is that feeling helpless to change something can lead to indifference about that thing. And indifference can lead to blindness. Even if you hate something like racism, like I do, if you shrug your shoulders about it enough and say, there's nothing I can do, eventually I think what will happen is we'll stop seeing it. Shrugging of the shoulders leads to blindness. We'll unwittingly choose blindness because the reality of what you see, if you open up your eyes, is too painful. Americans are very pain-averse. I'm very pain-averse. I want it to go away. And I think I need to admit the fact that sometimes I'd rather justify that something isn't a problem than experience the pain and responsibility from recognizing it for the problem that it still is. And that's what I've realized about myself in the past few months. That my personal experiences with people from all backgrounds, being as awesome as they were, in a way gave me this weird permission in my mind to be blind to the issues that do still exist. And I've had to realize that I have responsibility as a follower of Jesus to constantly not choose blindness, to choose seeing If Jesus chose the pain of the cross to unite men and women of all nationalities together, then certainly I can choose the pain of opening up my eyes to see just what might actually still be happening. Just to be curious enough to see, is this still a problem? And to see where it is a problem. Not just open my eyes to see what I assume or what I wish would be. And I think this is the place that all of us who follow Jesus are in, to continue to choose seeing, caring, and acting when we see walls between people and injustice being done. And I have this conviction, though, as we talk about this, as we pursue the tearing down of these ugly walls of racism. In our pursuit to tear down walls of race and bigotry, let's not build another dividing wall in its place. 
In wanting to fight injustice for one group of dearly loved brothers and sisters, may we never transfer that experience of injustice to others. Whether they be black, white, rich, poor, law enforcement, Democrat, Republican, or any other group that we tend to attack and divide over. We cannot break down one dividing wall by building another. Walls don't break down walls. We don't have to be against other groups of people to be for another. The gospel says we are to come together in the unity in the name of Jesus, not tear down another person or group of people by painting them with the same broad brushstrokes that we've seen happen so many times and time again. Obviously, no one but God himself has the perfect answers for how we fix all of this. But I'll share with you what I'm doing. I'm trying to open my eyes, and like Phil was talking about, open my ears and shut my mouth. I'm so quick to have an opinion, and then a half second later to say what I'm thinking without having really even thought about it. I think we need to re, as a church, as the church, we need to rediscover what thinking and pausing and meditating and taking time to make our decision and form our opinions about things. It's so easy to become defensive, to just keep going with the worldview that we currently hold. But if we aren't at least open to hearing out people who are saying, I'm in pain and I need your help, where is the love of God in that? If I plug my ears and I say, I've made my decision on this and I won't contemplate what people with other perspectives are saying, then we sentence ourselves to the echo chamber of our own minds and thoughts without any hope of growing. And most importantly, if we don't take seriously what God's word has to say about our call to be unified across racial boundaries, then we adopt a gospel that is sub-biblical, an anti-gospel, a false gospel. So unless I'm 100% sure that I'm 100% right about everything I currently think, then maybe it's time for me to start listening a little harder and thinking a little deeper. I have a deep conviction that on this issue of race, right now is a time for me to be quiet, to be a seer, to be a listener, to be reflective. And it's time for me to care more than I ever have. I don't exactly know what I'm supposed to do with the things I'm learning, with the things I heard today. I, I, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do with all that. I don't have a clue, honestly, how to translate the perspectives that I'm hearing into action. I, I honestly don't have a clue. But I do know that my calling is to love and act as God directs me, no matter what it costs me. So thank you for listening to my story. And thank you for extending grace to me in the places that I'm still figuring this out because believe me, I'm still figuring this out and I will be for a long time. And I know that's the truth for everyone who's spoken today. I pray that we all extend that grace to each other as we seek to become like our Savior Jesus together, unified, not dividing over things that could divide us, but saying Jesus is our banner. We unite under him and we will never, ever Divide over things that Jesus died to bring us together. I'm going to pray and then we're going to close the service. Father, thank you for the words spoken here today. We're aware that we're all in process. We're aware that there is so much we have to learn. And in months from now, we may say it differently or think differently or feel differently. Father, we're, we're aware of that. But we're also aware, that, Father, you bring truth to us sometimes in, in bite-sized pieces and that we are able to digest that and, and, and come to a fuller place of understanding as we keep seeking you and seeking uh, the voices of our brothers and sisters in Christ to just speak into this and to look at your word together and see what you say to us. Thank you that we can have this conversation. Thank you that it's not a scary thing. Thank you that it's a, a good, good, pleasing thing to you. And thank you that we can keep learning and becoming more like Jesus specifically in this issue of race and all the other issues that you have on our plate. We love you and we thank you for being faithful to us. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. If we're defensive, break our defensiveness. 
if we're reactive, bring us to a place where we're actually responsive to you. We want to follow you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Thank you.